you've got a Bible, as I said, we're going to jump straight in. First Kings chapter 20, no slides this morning. So we're just going to uh, open our Bibles or trust me that I'm reading from the Bible. And we're coming off the back of about a 10-week series called The Nitty Gritties. We're in two weeks of holidays. And so I just uh, invented a new series, a little mini-series for the next two weeks called Hills and Valleys. I found this this morning. And uh, I just really feel actually God's on this, particularly today. And uh, I want to talk about hills and valleys. I want to talk about our understanding, our belief about God. And then next week, I'm going to talk about our understanding and belief about ourselves and what God is doing. Uh, Everyone say hills and valleys. Awesome. If you're taking notes, that is kind of the mini-series over everything. This message this morning is entitled, God of the Ups and Downs. God of the Ups uh, and Downs. A few years ago, I was in my office here at church. A few years ago, my office was actually the room straight across the hallway. And I'm minding my own business, just getting on with stuff. Can't remember what I was doing. And uh, no one was, else was here in the building. But my, my, my door to my office swung open and a wild looking man came inside without any warning. And he sat down opposite me, and told me that he was a prophet and began to uh, say some pretty crazy, insane things, actually, like genuinely insane. And, and so uh, I, I said to him, listen, uh, prophet or not, if you want to chat with me, you need to make an appointment. And he, he said to me, well, hey, I don't have to make an appointment with God. Why should I with you? And I remember uh, rather uh, wittily replying back to him. I thought, man, that was a good line, Wes. I, I said, hey, uh, unlike God, I don't have the ability to be everywhere at one time. If you want to talk to me, you're going to have to make uh, an, an appointment. And he eventually left my office, and that's the end of that story. But, you know, I was, I was thinking, got to thinking about, about things like the omnipresence of God. And uh, all of us have been made in the image of God. We've all been made in his likeness. You happy about that? You're all very beautiful, very good looking, and handsome people this morning. But there are some attributes. Uh, about God that weren't passed down in our creation. Unfortunately, though we were made in His likeness, made in His image, there are some things that we, we don't get to do, like being omnipresent is not one of them. We cannot be everywhere at, all, well, at once. Being omni- omnipotent is another, having, having supreme power. I would have loved that one, but nope, that's not for us either. Probably a, a, a good thing. Being omniscient, having all knowledge is also something only reserved for God. And as well as these sort of traits about him, those are the kind of the big three. The Bible describes God, his character and his nature, his attributes as being unchanging. He does not change. Uh, Malachi 3 says, I am the Lord, I do not change. Uh, Hebrews uh, 13 says about Jesus, who is the perfect representation of his father, Jesus Christ, Hebrews says, is the same yesterday, today, today. And forever. And so God is literally a perfect picture, if you're looking for one, of rock solid consistency on every level. He is unchanging. He is, he is rock solid. And because of that, listen, he's, he is always faithful. He can always be uh, tr- counted, relied upon. He is completely trustworthy. He's not subject to mood swings. 
or changes of opinion. He's not indecisive. God is not unsure about things, about what he's doing. He's not unsure about you. He's not struggling with his choices. He's not feeling any regret right now about what he's done. God is good all of the time. He's good. God is good. And those who know Christ, those who are walking in relationship with him, we are in perfect relationship with God because of him, not because of me, not because of you. We are in perfect relationship with God because he is perfect and on his performance, not, not, our, not our own. One of the things I've noticed about my own faith, now that we've just sort of talked about God a little bit, but one of the things I've noticed about my own faith, and you know what, it's a little bit troubling, is the tendency that I have by comparison to our unchanging God to kind of waver, you know, maybe fluctuate a little bit in my, in my relationship with God. I don't know if you found this, I'm just being open this morning, but, but you know, we're, we're, we can be hot for God one day, we can be just on fire for Him one day, maybe on Sunday, and then Monday or Tuesday, eh, not, not, not so much. You know, one, one minute we're like, I'm burning for you, God, I'll do anything. And, and then the next day we're like, I don't even know if you're real right now. You know, we, we have these kind of ups and downs, these, these valleys and, 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 these, and these hills. Am I just, is it just me or is it anyone else kind of can, maybe at times, or someone you know who may be a little bit like that? But most of us have probably experienced these fluctuations where we go from trusting God with everything that we have to then questioning maybe even his existence. We, we, we can be moody. Uh, and so I don't know what it is about, about us that we can be so, so fickle, so changing, despite our God being so unchanging. And I, I've thought about this, and often it can come down to our circumstance, what's going on at that particular time, stuff that might be happening to us that can... That, that can tend to tip us one way or the other. Things, things can wear us down. Things can shake our faith. Uh, that's just life. Uh, Psalms are a classic example of that. If you guys are gonna, aren't going to be honest with me this morning, I'll just go to the Bible. Psalm 27, which we just read out after worship. David, in one breath, is on top of the world. He is, he is in the hills, man. And he says, the Lord is my salvation. Whom shall I fear? In other words, nothing, nobody. The Lord's my salvation. Though war may break out against me, even then, he's like, man, if war came, if there was like every, all these enemies after me, even then, I'm telling you, even then, I will be confident. That's verse one of Psalm 27. A few verses later, verse nine, not that long. God, don't hide your face from me. Don't turn your servant away in anger. Do not reject me. He's no longer in the hills. He's in the valleys. And it is human nature. It is, it is almost natural to just, obviously, discouragement is going to knock us. It is going to at least try to knock us. We will have times, moments, hopefully not seasons, but times in our life where we do say, like David, God, where are you? Why are you not lis listening to, to me? I was fine yesterday, but now I'm not, I'm not so sure. And then at the other end of the scale, we have those who would say, you know what? Actually, I grow closer to God during times of challenge, not, not, not further away from him. In, a, in adversity, I don't actually withdraw from God. It actually propels me in, into his arms. I, 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 I know a lot of people have said it was actually during great pressure 
It was during great stress that my faith grew stronger. And we, I know we have our, our own stories here, and that, that may be true for you, but you know what? Adversity can be actually a great motivation to pursue God. It could, it could be just the thing that you need. Challenges can be the making of us and, and not, not just the breaking. But, but all, all of that to say is that we all react differently to different things. We're all a little bit different. We've been spent the last 10 weeks talking about how you're, not, you're normal and I'm normal, but my normal's not your normal. We're, we're all uh, a little bit different. We all react differently. Some of us during difficult times will draw away from God. We'll run like the wind. We'll find a cave to hide in and kind of get into a fetal position and, and, and rock. And, and, and then at the other end of the scale, some of us during those similar circumstances will actually run, run to, to God. Someone once said, prosperity discovers vice, adversity discovers virtue, because it's a similar story at the other end of the scale when things are going great. We don't often think about when everything's going wonderfully, but even in those seasons, our heart can drift away from God. Some of us, when things are going well, we we kind of waver. That's, that's it. That could be our time. We're like, oh man, things are looking up for me. I am in the hills. It is amazing. Everything I'm touching is turning to gold. I'm a winner. I can't lose God. You know what? I feel like I can do this by myself. I am just cruising. This is awesome. Maybe I don't even need God today like I did yesterday in, in the valley. Matthew Henry, he was the Bible commentator. He comments about the blessings of God. He says this, when men possess large estates or are engaged in profitable business, they find the temptation for pride and the forgetfulness of God or the forgetfulness for God. We often think that our faith takes the biggest dents. We often think that our faith takes the, the, the biggest knocks when things are actually really difficult, when we're facing challenge. But do you know what? The Bible has more to say about the dangers of becoming complacent when things are going well. It does. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8. Apologies for these passages not being on the screens. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 10. Listen to this. When you've eaten your fill... Be sure to praise the Lord your God for the good land he's given you. But that is the time to be careful. Here's a warning right here in the Old Testament. This is the time to be careful. When? When you have eaten your fill, be sure to praise him for the land he's given you. This is the time to be careful. Beware, it says, verse 11, Deuteronomy 8, that in your plenty you do not forget the Lord your God. And so I've been thinking a little bit about this, the hills and the valleys we've shared from the passage we're going to read in just a moment. But it's almost like each one of us, you know, we're all so different. I'm different from you. You're different from me. Your normal is not always my normal. We have the scriptures that redefines our normal for us, but we all are wired differently. We all had different experiences. We all respond differently. It's almost like each one of us has a bent towards. We have this leaning to either run from God or run to him depending on the circumstance. This is just a theory. It's just kind of an, an observation I've had, but there are those who will hang on to God's legs with both hands. When times are rough, 
We'll just hang on to him through the storm and then we let go when it's smooth sailing, when things are great. But then there are those who will drift away from God when things are difficult. We're just like, oh. And, and, and we will draw closer to him in times of blessing. You're kind of following me this morning. This kind of re, we're a little wide differently. And it's a really good question to ask yourself. Does uncertainty cause you to fall towards him or fall away from him? Does prosperity cause you to fall toward him or away from him? Just, th- just think about it, the moments, the seasons in your life. When were you the closest to him? I'm not talking about like, like kind of short moments, but, but seasons. When was it, was it adversity in adversity? Did you draw close to him or fall from him? In prosperity, did you draw closer to him or did you wane a- a- away from him? Because I, I gotta admit, if, if, if I'm honest, I'm honest here this morning that my Bible is probably more open, my, my prayer life is probably more consistent, my, my passion is more aflame when my needs are greater. I, I have this tendency when things aren't going well to, to naturally run, run, to, run to God, when there's something that I need from Him. When I, need something, when I need something from God, and actually on reflection, that is a little disturbing. I mean, it's good that we do that, but is it true in the valley as it was in the, in the hills? Some of you, you may find the opposite is actually true, that, that you know, he's more easily approached. He, he's a better God when the chips are up. You know, when, when things are going great, when the sun is shining, when you, everything is lined up for you, he's a God of your ups, maybe your greatest times of intimacy. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with these two things, but your greatest times of intimacy with Father God are, are when you've been showered with blessings. You're like, thank you, Jesus. You know, you're waving your hands in the air like you just don't care because he's good. He's amazing. Look what he's done. Look at his blessings, there are many, and that just causes you to thank him and draw close to him. He's a good, good God. And again, nothing wrong with either of those two, two times, but I want to suggest to you this, this morning that our ability to run to God in either setting has a lot to do with who we perceive him to be. Our view of the Father God will actually affect what we do when we're in the valleys or whether we are in, in the hills. Is he a God of the mountaintop or is he a God of the valley? Is he more easily found when everything is great or when you need him desperately? What is it for you? First Kings chapter 20. I've spoken out of this story before and uh, this thought is so well described. This hills and valleys now, I want to actually read from you verse 28, or at least that's the passage that I want you to keep note of. But I'm going to read most of this story to you. It's a good one. You don't have to kind of go, oh my goodness. Chapter 20 of, uh, of actually I'm in 2 I'm in Kings, so that's not going to work. 1 Kings chapter 20. Let me just read this to you. You can listen or follow along in your Bibles. It says, now, Ben Hadad, the king of Syria gathered all his forces together, 32 kings were with him, that's a lot of kings, with horses and chariots, and he went up and besieged Samaria and made war against it. Then he sent messengers into the city of Ahab, king of Israel, and said to him, thus says Ben-Hadad, your silver and gold are mine, your loveliest wives 
and children, they're also mine. This is not a good day for Israel. Not, not the greatest of letters to receive. And the king of Israel answered and said, my Lord, O king, just as you say, I and all that I have are yours. This guy is freaking out. And then the messengers came back and said, thus speaks Ben-Hadad saying, indeed, I have sent to you by saying you shall deliver me your silver and your gold and your wives and your children, but I will send my servants to you tomorrow about this time and they shall search your house and the houses of your servants and it shall be that whatever is pleasant in your eyes, they will put it in their hands and take it. Not a great day. So the king of Israel called all of the elders of the land and said, notice please and see how this man seeks trouble for he sent to uh, me for my wives, my children, my silver and my gold, and I did not deny him. And all the elders and all the people said to him, do not listen or consent. Then he said to the messengers of Ben-Hadad, tell my Lord the king, all that you sent for your servant the first time I will do, but this thing I cannot do. And the messengers departed and brought back word to him. Then Ben-Hadad sent to him and said, the gods do so to me, and more also, if enough dust is left of Samaria for a handful of each of the people who follow me. So the king of Israel answered and said, tell him, let not the one who puts on his armor boast like the one who takes it off. So there's kind of this back and forth going on here. And it happened, verse 12, when Ben-Hadad heard this message as he and the kings were drinking, at the command post that he said to his servants, get ready. And they got ready to attack the city. So he's like, ooh, I'm gonna get those Israelites bad. Suddenly, verse 13, a prophet appeared, approached King Ahab, the king of Israel, saying, thus says the Lord. So we've heard, thus saith King Hadad. Thus saith the Lord, have you seen all this great multitude? Behold, I will deliver it into your hand today and you shall know that I am the Lord. So Ahab, king of Israel said, by whom? How are you gonna do this? And he said, thus says the Lord, by the young leaders of, by the, young leaders of the provinces, then he said, who will set the battle in order? And he answered, you. Then he mustered the young leaders in the provinces and there were 232 and after them, he mustered all the people, all the children of Israel, 7,000. We're nearly there. Verse 16 says, so then they went out at noon. Meanwhile, Ben-Hadad and the 32 kings helping him were getting drunk at the command post. The young leaders of the provinces were out first and Ben-Hadad sent out a patrol and they told him saying, men are coming out of Samaria. So he said, if they have come out for peace, take them alive. And if they've come out for war, take them alive. It's kind. Verse 19, then these young leaders of the provinces went out of the city with the army which followed them and each one killed his man. So the Syrians fled and Israel pursued them and Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, escaped on a horse with the cavalry. That wasn't turning out how he thought it was gonna turn out. Verse 21, then the king of Israel went out and attacked the horses and chariots and killed the Syrians with great slaughter. This is the Old Testament, people. And the prophet came to the king of Israel and said to him, go strengthen yourself, take note and see what you should do. For in the spring of the year of the king of Syria will come up against you. In other words, he's not finished. We're getting to where I wanna get to. This is all just background. Verse 23, then the servants of the king of Syria said to them, 
This is the bit I want you to look at. Therefore, their gods are gods of the hills. Therefore, they were stronger than we, but if we fight against them in the plain, surely we will be stronger than they. So do this thing, dismiss the kings each from his position and put captains in their places, and you shall muster an army like the army that you have lost, horse for horse and chariot for chariot. Then we will fight against them in the plain. Surely we will be stronger than they. And they listened to the voice and did so. Some of your Bibles that you may be reading from replaces the word plain with valley. So it was in the, in the spring of that year when Ben-Hadad mustered the Syrians and went up to Aphek to fight against Israel. And the children of Israel were mustered and given provisions and they went against them. Now the children of Israel encamped before them like two little flocks of goats while the Syrians filled the countryside. All of that to say this, here we are, verse 28. We made it. Then a man of God came and spoke to the king of Israel and said, thus saith the Lord, are you ready for this? Because the Syrians have said, the Lord is God of the hills, but he is not God of the valleys. Therefore, I will deliver all this great multitude into your hand and you shall know that I am a God. I am your God. So, (laughs) just to kind of, really quick recap, the Syrians make this really awful mistake in their understanding, in their belief about who God is, about the nature and the character of God, about who he is and where he will be found. Having seen the hand of God come to Israel's rescue when they attack them, first of all, in those high places in the mountains, they make this then faulty assumption that costs them literally their lives that he must only be a God of the hills and not a God of the valleys. He's only good for the mountaintops. He's only good for the high places. He's not the same God down in the valley, so that's where we're gonna get them next. He's only a God of the hills. If, we, if he came through for Israel up high, if he came through for them in the hills, surely he won't do the same down low. And so what the Syrian king never realized that we now know for hindsight is that the God of Israel changes not. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. In other words, you can attack in the high places. You can come at me in the valleys. You can come at me from any side, either side, the front or the rear. But every time in any direction, you will find he is the exact same God. He is the God of the hills and he is God of of the valleys. Come on. In times of struggle in our valley, when things are not going well, when you are in those valley valley seasons or in times of victory, the hills, he's the same God. He's the same God. He changes not. He is present in both places. He is interested in both places. He is willing in both places to be engaged and to be drawn close to. He's in the hill seasons and he's in the valleys. He's in both places ready to be engaged. The question is, not for God, but for us, what's our response? 
What's our response in the hills or in the valleys? Whatever your bent is, whatever you have kind of that tendency to withdraw or draw, what, what is our response in both, both seasons? You see, my Bible is clear. It's, it says no matter what season, no, no matter what it is we may be going through, whether it is good or bad, whether it is in adversity or in times of prospering, either, either, either season, whether you need something from him or when he's providing your every need, when you're desperate for what he may have in your hand or he is showering you with gifts, we're to thank him, we're to seek him, we're to draw close to him, we're to praise him, we're to, we're to go to God and acknowledge that he's good. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, In everything, give thanks. In everything, give thanks. You okay this morning? We are to keep that continual gaze at His face. Listen, you gotta know this, and maybe you're listening to this online. He is the answer. Jesus is the answer when life feels out of control and you are sinking. He is the answer in that time, in that season. He is the answer Friend, he is the answer when everything you're touching is turning to gold, when it is just going swimmingly, it's going wonderfully. You're walking on the water. Jesus is your answer. He's the answer when you can't, cannot see the way out, when you are sinking, when you don't know where the next turn is gonna come, you're not sure how you're gonna make it through the end of this day. Jesus is the answer. He's the answer when the road is wide open and clear, when it is a straight path before you and things are going well. Jesus is the answer because he's the God of the hills and the valleys. He's to be sought, he's to be pursued, he's to be run, run to when the chips are up and when the chips are down. He's to be, he is to be pursued because he is the God of the ups and the downs. He's the God of the ups and the downs. <clears throat> and for us, us this morning as his image bearers, Ones who have been made in his image. I don't, I don't know. Uh, whoever you are or wherever you're at, those who are here, those who are listening, whatever place you are in, no matter how near or far you feel from him today, right now, he can be found in your crisis and he can be found in your blessing. His attitude, his feelings towards you, his thoughts about you, his availability, his access to you, his motivation changes not. It's the same. It's the same. You may feel closer to him because things are going well, but he's not changed. He's not, he's not suddenly appeared from a rock. Surprise! You may feel his presence far more when you are just struggling and in stress and, and you, just, you just need, need his, his, his comfort. But listen, he's not changed. He's the same. He's the same God. He's the same God. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The problem is, exists with us about our view of God, about our understanding of who he is, of his character and his, and his nature. The problem li lies with us like it did with the Syrian king when we perceive God to be of one particular persuasion. Oh, he's of the hills, but he's not of the valleys. He's worth pursuing in the, in the valley, but, but not in the hill or, 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 or vice versa. What the Syrian king failed to realize, he paid for severely because of his wrong belief about who God was. And I wanna just suggest this morning, the same is true for us. If we, if we do not recognize who God is, if we have a wrong belief about our Father, 
we can make the same error. I want to give you two very simple points this morning, spoken out of this passage before. Two very simple but significant points. Uh, You need to write them down if you've got a pen. But number one, get ready for this. He's more than just the God of the hills. I know that's really simple. He is more than just a God of the hills. He's more than that. He's more than that. Those who know him only when blessings abound. You're drawn to him when when things are going great. He's more than just a God of the hills. Those Those who know how to come to him with thanksgiving and praise and seasons of favor and blessings. But you know what? If you're honest, you kind of struggle to find him in the plains or the valleys of life. I mean, you, you're, you're, just, you're just, oh, I love Jesus when everything's going well, but when it isn't, you kind of just struggle a little bit. That kind of person, generally speaking, will lack the discipline of pursuing God when there's nothing tangible to respond to. And that's real important. Like, it's just easier to get excited when stuff's happening, right? It it is. You guys are right this morning. Come on, I'm feeling really lonely. My wife's not even with me. My kids aren't here. I'm all alone. You guys have got to give me some feedback. I'm in a valley right now. God, where are you? But it is just easier to get excited when things, are going, when things are going great. Gratitude is much easier expressed when you are, you are being showered with blessing. Come on, when you're getting a pay rise, you're like, thank you, Jesus. When things are going right, so someone gives you a kai, like, woohoo, thank you, God. When, you know, when, when, when there's provision or a healing, maybe you're getting the car park outside Briscoe's when it was completely full, you're going, thank you, Lord Jesus. It's just easier to express gratitude to him. Our natural response is thanksgiving. But there is a tenacity. There there is something about a disciplined effort to seek God. There is a resolve that is developed from seeking him when nothing is happening. In other words, when you're in the valley and you're like, man, I just can't find anything to thank him for. Everything seems to be going, going wrong. There is power in your praise in that time. Remember, he's a God of the valleys. The book of James, not the James sitting on the front seat, says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Paul said to the Romans that we had a glory in our suffering because suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character and character hope. It is, valleys are a necessary part of our growth and maturity. Uh, it's just, it's not nice. I, I, cannot, uh, I cannot agree yet with James 5, which says, consider it pure joy. When you suffer, like pure, like joy is a struggle. Pure joy, I'm not really sure about that. But it is necessary because he's there. He's a God of the valleys. Uh, King King David, the, the writer of Psalm 27, he was a man who was known to have great intimacy with God. And and how, how was that? How did he have so much intimacy with God? How he did it was he knew what it meant to seek God in the valley. He was a valley seeker. Psalm 63 verse one, earnestly I seek you. 
My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. Does that sound like a guy who is just desperate for God, right? I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. Where? Where is he saying this? The next passage says, in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Wow, there's a picture of, of someone who understands God's a God of the valley. In a dry place where there's no water, I thirst for you because I know who you are. You're worthy of my praise. In other words, there's, there's nothing good happening around me, but I'll praise you anyway because you're God. Blessed be your name. When the chips are up and when the chips are down, he's a God of the valley and he has something to say to you in dry times. We, we have to cultivate an attitude of thanksgiving and a heart after God when things are down. Someone once said this, the man who learns to walk in the rain will do well in the sunshine. He's a God. He's more than just a God of the valleys. Number one. Number two. Number two is he's more than just a God. Sorry, he's more than just a God of the valley. First point was he's more than just a God of the hills. Second point, he's more than just a God of the valley. He's more than just a God of comfort. He's more than just a God who picks you up when you're down. Someone needs to hear this as well. He's more than just a provider for your needs. You know what? Those, those who know him, you know, my tendency is, is, is this type of person, when, when things are going rubbish, I just draw to God. I'm opening my scriptures, trying to find some word of encouragement. I'm, I'm looking to him for any promise I can get my hand on. I'm, I'm desperate for God. But those who know him only when times are tough, those, those who seek him, uh, uh, who come to him out of desperate need and worship God in seasons of lack, but struggle to connect with the God of the hills, well, that person, generally speaking, will experience, I believe, an inhibited relationship with God that is based out of discipline only. And he wants your relationship to be more than just the have-tos. I gotta do this because I'm not gonna live. Actually, there's, there's more of his relationship from that. God is interested in more than just seeing you survive, more than just seeing him seek, seek his hand for what, what, you, what you can get. Because if we never get to live out of the joy of answered prayer and, and rich blessing, we are missing a huge side of Father God, a God who loves us desperately, a God who, who wants to see us excel and prosper. If we never get to see that, if we never get to experience the joy of answered prayer, if we don't get to see, He is a God of the breakthrough. He is the God who has delivered and heals me. He is a God who answers my prayer. We're not seeing the full, the full, side, this full side of who He is. One of the names of God is Jehovah Jireh, right? My provider. The, it means the all-providing one, Jehovah Jireh, the all-providing one. That was one of the names that Israel gave, gave to God because he was the God of the more than, more than enough, not just kind of the barely enough. How am I gonna make it? He's the God of more, more than enough. Jesus didn't reveal to the disciples a father who was stingy and tight-fisted, who's like, look at me, I'm not gonna do anything for you. Just worship me, it'll be okay, you'll get through the day. He was, he was far more, more than that. He was generous and he was extravagant. He was good and he was pouring out goodness and answering their prayers and doing incredible, awesome, cool things every day that he was on the earth. 
Luke chapter 5. After catching nothing all day, Jesus tells the disciples to lay down their nets, the, 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 the catch of, uh, of fish, when, he, when they put down their nets, that Jesus' command was completely over-the-top abundant. It, there were so many fish, it broke, it broke their nets. It was more than what they needed. Psalm 34.10 says, the, the young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. The psalmist says, my cup overflows. You see, pursuing God when the chips are up, pursuing God in the hill seasons actually teaches us something about the nature to bless us. It teaches us something about God's wanting to bless his kids and say, man, I love you. Come on, if we, I, I'm, just, I'm just pouring out stuff for you right, for right now to experience the joy of seeing breakthrough and victory. Man, he is the God of the hills. And he has something to say to you in the good season, in the good times. So we've got to learn to cultivate an attitude of thanksgiving and a heart after God when the chips are up, not just when the chips are down. All of that to say is don't pursue a, a one-faced, one-dimensional God, a, a one-sided father, because he's, he's more than that. He's much, he's much more than that. Happy and blessed is the person who knows how to pursue God in times of blessing and in times of drought. It's in both seasons. It's in the hills and, and, and the valleys. He's a God of every season. He's a, God of, he's a God of your ups and he's a God of your downs. He's there. He's got something to say and he ought to be pursued. It's just a fact in life that our, our walks take us through different changing seasons. And I don't know where you are at, if we would even say you were in something or out of something. If you're in a mountaintop or a valley low, sometimes we, we make kind of uh, 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 conclusions about the season we're in in just a moment when actually, you know, at, at any one time, there are things that we could be grateful for and things that aren't going well, right? I remember hearing a story from, man, I can't remember the guy's name. He wrote The Purpose Driven Life. What was his name? Rick Warren. He writes a, a story about seasons and he actually says, do you know what? His, his wife was, uh, was suffering with cancer. And he said he could say about that season, as, as desperate and dark and as low as it was, it was one of the greatest seasons in their life. When, when there, was, there was other things happening that they were so grateful to God with. Sometimes it's hard to say, well, I, I'm in a valley season right now. But you know what I mean? It's the, it's the propensity that we have to draw to God in either of, either of those of those times, but he will always remain the same, faithful and true. Though we may waver, he does not, and he will not, and he's waiting for us. And whatever place that you find yourself in, he is there, and he's got something to say. Amen. Are you convinced this morning? All right, I'm going to click this button, and hopefully, some nice music will play. Just as we kind of begin to wrap this up this morning, you're not, you're not released just yet. Give me another two or three minutes and there's great coffee waiting for you. You can turn that down a, a little bit. Thanks, Dave. That's all good. He's got that. You know, one of the clearest pictures of our Father, the God of the hills and in the valleys is 
recorded in Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son. Kent referred to this before at communion. It's one of the most preached passages of all time in, in the Bibles. Most of you will, will know the story. If you've been in church for any length of time, a man had two sons. Younger son asks for his inheritance early, leaves home, spends all his inheritance on wild li- living. After falling on hard times, he returns home expecting to be made a hired servant. Verse 20 of Luke 15 says, uh, and he arose, the, the man, and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion, ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and in your sight I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry, for this is my son who is dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And it says they began to be merry. Most of you will know that Jesus was telling a story, a parable, an an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. He was describing something for us to kind of get a picture of what Father God is like, of who He is, what's His attitude today towards, towards the earth. And as with every parable, Jesus gives us a glimpse of how things work in the kingdom. And in this case, the young son is representative of every person who comes to their senses, who turns to God and while expecting to be treated as their sins deserve, are instead embraced, are are instead given a robe of honor, are given the ring of authority, sandals of sonship, not slavery, slavery, and their lives are celebrated. And the Father in this parable is, is, of course, a symbol of our Heavenly Father who embraces His lost sons, embraces lost daughters, treats them with love and grace. Isn't He good? He's amazing. But what I just want to remind you as we kind of draw this to a close this morning, and I believe that there's something need to hear this, is, and I've shared this before, is the stance, the position of the Father who Jesus clearly paints a picture of for us. It says that the father ran toward the returning son, fell on his neck and kissed him. If you take anything this morning from this message, that's not someone screaming, it's the coffee machine warming up. If you take anything from this message this morning, I pray that it's this picture of the father's embrace, a picture of what father is like, the father of the hills and of the valleys. It's arms open at all times, no matter who you are or what you're going through. It's His arms outstretched, ready to embrace you when things are going well and when things are not going well. It's Father God running to meet you when you are desperate and you don't know where to turn. It's Him running towards you to meet you when you're being showered with blessings. It's Father saying, hey, I missed you. I've missed you with a because you've not spent time with them because you've been so distracted with the blessings of God or you've not spent any time with them because you've been so distracted by the storms that are around you. It's Father God waiting in anticipation to meet with you, whether the chips are up or whether the chips are down. And it's this picture of Father God who is unchanging in every situation, in every circumstance that we find ourselves in, whether on the hilltop or the valley low, He's already, always, always ready, waiting, because He's the God of every season. Why don't we bow our heads and I'll pray. 
Father, I thank you for this picture of you. I, I, I hope, I pray that we, we, can, we can really get a glimpse of that today. I, I pray, God, that we really see who you are. You never turn your back on us. You've never turned your back on us. We can't always say the same thing about our posture, about our position. And God, there are times where we have turned in the attitude of our hearts, where we have waned, where we have just settled down because of things going on around us. And I thank you, Lord, for this reminder about who you are, that you are worthy to be sought after, that you are worthy of praise, that you are worthy to be run to in any season, in every season that we're in. And I I just pray, God, not, not just for this moment right now, but for the time to come when we walk through different seasons and we find ourselves up on a mountaintop, when we find ourselves in a valley low, when we find ourselves sort of riding the clouds and everything's going great, or when we find ourselves in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Would you remind us from this moment that you are God of both of those places, that you can be found, that you are, Lord, there waiting for us to be sought after. I pray for every person right now who is in a mountaintop season. I thank you for the blessings of God. I say more, more, even for those ones experiencing that right now, more God, more of your blessings. Shower us, God, shower these ones. Let us know that we are your kids and you love us. Thank you for causing us to thrive in our lives. I thank you, Father, for, for, for just an abundance of finances, blessing, God. I thank you for our children well and healthy. God, I thank you for marriages that are strong. I thank you for the mountaintop moments. I thank you for the seasons that some of us find ourselves in right now. It's amazing. It's amazing. I pray for those ones that we would never turn our back, not even a moment, our hearts from you in any way. Know that you are the author of that, that you are the giver of life, that you are the bestower of blessing. I thank you, Lord. You are the one who causes us to live our lives so richly on the inside. You are the one who causes our soul to prosper. And in that season, God, may those ones run desperately to you and cling on to you with dear life in the blessings. And those of us here this morning listening who right now are in a season of valley, they find themselves in a dry place where they don't have much, where they feel like everything's been taken from them where it feels like you've been stripped and robbed of every good thing, where you're wondering, how am I gonna make it through this week? When you're in that place and it feels like God is is quiet, He's not seeming to be coming to your aid, you find yourself in that season or in that moment of time, I pray in Jesus' name that you will cling to the legs, the arms or whatever you can get hold of, of Jesus because He's there with you and He has something to say. He's the God of the valley. 
Father, in that, in that season, I pray that you would water souls, that you would water souls, God, that you would water hearts this morning, that God, you would touch lives who are desperate, who are depressed, God, who feeling like it's, it's just not worth going on. I thank you that God, you, that you will bring hope in abounding measures upon our lives that we will know beyond a shadow of a doubt, oh, you are my Savior. You are the God of the valleys and you'll carry us and walk us through that and, and that you will find such a perseverance and character is developed in that time that will set you up. Help us, God, to seek you faithfully in the rain as well as the sun. In every season, you are worthy of our praise and we bless you. We seek you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your ways. We thank you that you're not changing in any way or shape. You're the God who changes not. Jesus, you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. I bless these ones today as we...